We've come to realize, I hope and I pray, the value of relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. It's a new day for Putnam City Baptist Church as we seek to minister to our community and to the world. If you are here in the Oklahoma City Metroplex, we would encourage you later on, even if you need to safe distance and stay home today, uh, maybe you want to get out with your mother and drive through. It'll be totally safe. Get a photo with your mom today and join us either live in person for the service or right after the service from noon to 1245 Mother's Day photos. Well, as we've talked about, life in 2020 is radically different than any of us could have ever imagined or any of us could have ever anticipated. And while this is a very serious time, as we come back to trying to return uh, into the marketplace and back to some form of normalcy, I thought a little humor might be a little good medicine for what we've been living with the past two months. So I've kind of collected a variety of things that maybe you've seen through Facebook or online uh, and realizing that some people don't take the virus seriously enough. There are others who take it a little too literally, like this dad right here, who has on his Norton antivirus mask. Now, I'm sure his kids are extremely proud of their dad. That's awesome. We also see that gold was considered one of the most valuable commodities until this year, 2020. Now, the most valuable commodity might just be the toilet paper storage you have at home. Somebody posted this. They said, if schools are closed for too long, the parents are going to find a vaccine way before the science do. Uh, there is that necessity to be the mother of invention. I'm sure some parents are trying to figure that out even now. Another post that I thought was pretty humorous that kind of hits in my world is how unsettling is the reversal of my teenage years. I'm now the one getting on to my parents for going out. And if you find that to be true in your world, it is a total reversal. This next picture hits a little too close to home. Being trapped at home for two months, this is me after quarantining and all the snacking that goes on because of being sheltered at home. Not good for me. Finally, sometimes social distancing is a good thing. It is a good thing. Now, you'll notice these three masking up here, but it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. I found that to be real humorous, especially since we have a dog much like that one in the picture. Well, this whole idea of social distancing became a totally new term that we had never used until 2020. And it has become a new reality in our life, in our world, in our relationships. And safe distancing is a very real and needed thing as we deal with this virus. But what I wanted to do is we start returning back to some kind of normal, whatever that new normal is, as things begin to reopen up, and as we are still practicing social distancing, I wanted to go through today and talk about when distancing is not a good thing. And see, three examples out of Scripture, how distancing can actually be a bad thing. Now, safe distancing, a great thing. Some other kinds of distancing can be a very negative thing. Research has shown us that nearly 45, almost half of adults, 45% of adults in the United States reported that their mental health has been negatively impacted by this time of virus. 
being distanced from family, uh, the issues at work, the challenges of children now being homeschooled and online, all of those issues adding extra worry and stress leading to great mental distress for the majority of our population. Job loss is also associated with increased depression. We see the numbers growing every week, it seems, in unemployment. And all those that are dealing with anxiety and the stress of paying their bills, paying for their mortgages or their rent, how they get groceries and medications, all of that leads to higher substance abuse and all kinds of other disorders, and even sadly, in some cases, suicide. Poor mental health due to burnout, being on the front lines, still being at work and and being out there and putting your life at risk so that life can continue on for the rest of us, that also adds another layer of mental anxiety and other physical issues in health. Prior to COVID-19, nearly one in five U.S. adults reported having a mental illness in the past year. That's 47 million Americans. The struggles of everyday life and the stresses that hit us and, and what that does is it drives us into darker places and deeper spaces of discouragement and depression. The enemy loves to distance us. Distance us from one another and distance us from our God who created us to walk in a love relationship with him. And the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy will do anything in the world he can to distance you from those relationships. Now, rightfully so, we've needed to do some safe distancing and what is being labeled as social distancing, that's been a needed step. But if that becomes a norm, and I think we've realized that as we have been sheltering at home, we've come to realize, I hope and I pray, the value of relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. And so the enemy who wants to rob you of all those things that God created you to experience and created you to desire, if he can rob you by isolating you, he steals the very things that bring us joy, fulfillment, and our purpose. While safe distancing is a good thing when dealing with a deadly virus, we're going to see this morning that sometimes distance itself can be even more deadly. Let me show you some examples out of Scripture. First thing I want you to see is in Acts chapter 17. You don't necessarily need to turn there. I'll put these up on the screen, but you can see Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel. There were many who were looking for answers. There were many who were distanced from God in their sin, in their philosophies, in their lostness. And the Apostle Paul opens up a very powerful truth in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. He said, the God who made the world and all things in it. He was speaking to people who worshipped many gods. As he'd walked through their city, there were idols and temples and all kinds of religious expressions. There was even an idol to the unknown God in case they had missed a God. And in all their searching and all their seeking, they were a million miles from God in their sin. The Apostle Paul said, but this God who made all things in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps 
they might grope for him and find him. Though, watch this, and I want you to underline it and see this last piece, what I've got highlighted here. He is not far from each one of us. In other words, he was declaring the truth of what God had already shared and revealed in his word, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. No matter how far we might distance ourselves from God in our sin, no matter how far we might journey away from his righteous call on our life, he is always near. It could be that as you're viewing this message today, you feel a million miles away from God. It's not because God is distanced from you. It's because there are different things in our lives that distance us from Him. He is right there. He is near, but our hearts can be far from Him. So I want you to see three things with me quickly this morning. Three things, uh, examples of distancing in our hearts, in our lives, that distance us from God that are a bad thing. First thing is if you'll turn in 1 Kings chapter 19. There in your Old Testament, we're going to look back. We're going to look into the life of Elijah. Now, we've studied this recently, but it applies to the realities of what we've dealt with these past two months. It's important to go back and relearn and rethink and, and look at it through this filter that we deal with in our day of distancing. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, what we're going to find is sometimes our physical nature, our bodies, lie to us, the, the, the physiology of who we are as creation of God, that dimension of us can lead us astray. Take a look at verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now this is coming right after uh, the showdown on Mount Carmel. Elijah has called all of Israel out on their idol worship, the worship of Baal. Jezebel had brought in false prophets, and Ahab allowed it to happen under his reign as king. And all of Israel distanced themselves from Jehovah God and began to worship the Baals and the Asherah and all kinds of other idols. Elijah draws a line and says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And there's a big, uh, uh, big battle there on the mountain between the prophet of God, Elijah, and the false prophets of Jezebel. You remember that story where God proved himself as he threw down fire from heaven and consumed Elijah's offering, proving that he was the true prophet and that there was only one true God. Those prophets were put to death, and now Jezebel has gotten news of what had happened on the mountain, and she sends her message to Elijah. Elijah the hero. Elijah the revivalist. Elijah who was used by God to experience a miracle of God and revival among his people. She sends a message to Elijah. And she sent this messenger, verse 2, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more. Now notice her response. She was still worshiping her false gods. And she comes after the prophet of God. So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid. If you look at the last part, or the first part there of verse 3, last part of this passage, he goes from being king of the mountain to being extremely afraid. We see a roller coaster ride in Elijah's life. Elijah, who's a hero in Scripture. Elijah, who is a spiritual man. Elijah, who loved God, walked with God, and served God. Had great victories, and he also had great valleys. Valleys of defeat. And if that can happen in Elijah's life, that can happen in your life, that can happen in my life. There are days we wake up and we experience life to the fullest. We experience great mountaintop days of victory. 
Then there's some other days, and maybe you've experienced that through this virus, where the enemy raises his ugly head and bombards us with fearful things. Will I get the virus? Does that one I love who is there in the hospital, will they survive? Maybe you're on the front lines and you're wondering if, if you're going to catch something because you have to do your job and do what's necessary as we reopen. All these fearful things are coming at us every day we wake up. Well, the same was true for Elijah. And Elijah is proof that every single one of us is very vulnerable. We're extremely vulnerable. There are times we feel like nothing can come against us and we can conquer anything just like Elijah standing on that mountain against all the false prophets. And then the very next day, he's a man who's afraid. And he's a man who struggles. And he's a man who goes to dark places. Yes, fear is a very powerful foe. And it is the fieriest of all arrows that the enemy can fling at our minds, at our hearts, at our relationships. So I want you to go back to verse 3. What is our response when things get ugly? When life isn't fair, things aren't going the way we want them to go, and we have fear starting to face us right in front of us, how do we respond? Elijah, verse 3 says, he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran back to the mountain. He ran to God to get his source of strength. Is that what Elijah did? The Bible says he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba. He ran, not to God for victory, but he ran for his life. And in this, we find him going back to his natural mechanisms. His coping was natural, not supernatural. And instead of facing the fear, instead of running to God and allowing God to be his shelter place, his safe place, he runs from the problem. He thinks he's he thinks it's the only thing he can do, and it's the wise thing to do, is to run, and to run for shelter, and run and find a safe place. But he's distancing himself from God, and he's distancing himself in his problems. Take a look at verse 3 again. Let's see the rest of it. It says, He was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And look at his next fatal mistake. He left his servant there. If we were to look at a map of Israel, you would see that he had gone many miles through desert land and through difficult terrain. He hasn't had anything to eat. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's overwhelmed. He's trying to outrun his problems, and yet his problems are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so now we find his second mistake. His first mistake was not running to God, but running from his problems. The second mistake is that he was isolating himself from other people, from all things. And that's a real tendency in times of fear, in times of trouble. Notice it says he left his servant there. Things were getting darker by the moment, and the darker they got, and that happens in your life and mine, there's a temptation to totally withdraw. Withdraw from encouraging people, to withdraw, for, or to withdraw from our family, to withdraw from accountability, and to go into that place where nobody else is, into that dark place. That's exactly what happened for Elijah. Verse 4, There from that point he went a whole nother day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under the juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my 
fathers. We wake up in verse 4, just a few days after an incredible victory. We watch the prophet of God, the man of God, and the man who lived for God and served God, go from leading Israel back to the Lord to now giving up on the Lord and giving up on his very own life. He's listening to the lies of the enemy. So let's learn from history. Let's learn from Elijah. You see, Elijah was hurting physically and emotionally, which led to spiritual distancing. Distancing himself from his servant, from one who cared for him, for one who was his peer, for one who could provide encouragement and accountability. He ran from where he was supposed to serve God and ran and distanced himself from all things that God was doing in his life. If that's happened for you in these days, I hope that you could learn from Elijah. As we look into his life, we find that he was dehydrated, he was uh, starving, he hadn't eaten, he hadn't slept, he had depleted all of his physical resources. And then you add a dose of fear, and what do you get? Spiritual distancing. It could be that maybe through anxiety and fearful things of this virus, you've had a hard time sleeping. Maybe you've not been eating properly. Maybe you've not get, been getting enough rest. It's no wonder that perhaps fear is bigger than it's been in a long, long time. Maybe you find yourself in that same place where Elijah was struggling. Well, what can we learn so that we don't get as dark as it got for Elijah? What can we do to stay out of that pit and return back to a mountaintop of victory? Well, here are some lessons that I've written down. Number one, Realize we are three-dimensional creations of God. When we are created as an image, God, who is one, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We who are created in the image of God, we are one person, but we are physical, body. We are emotional, mental, in our, our, our uh, psychology, if you will, our psyche, our soul, and we are spiritual, that part of us that was born again when we invited Christ into our lives. All three dimensions need to be healthy to remain healthy. Here was Elijah who was healthy spiritually at a point. He had trusted God on the mountaintop. He had fought spiritual warfare and seen a great victory. And yet over the next couple of days, as he was exhausted and depleted and dehydrated, as he ran and he ran and he ran and he pressed his physiology to its max, he had a crash. It could be that you need to respond like God responded for Elijah. And maybe you just need some rest and some nourishment. Maybe you need to, to allow those things to heal up as you continually spiritually feed on the Word of God as well. Instead of isolation, as he removed himself from his servant, maybe we need to run to relationships. Maybe in this moment, while you feel it the least, maybe that's where you need to pursue it the most. While everything in him said, I don't want anybody around me, not even my servant. I don't even want him in my life. I just want to be by myself. Maybe you need to do what you don't want to do. Maybe you need to do what you know you need to do. Last thing is, maybe you feel spiritual. He didn't feel spiritual in that moment. He didn't want to do ministry anymore. He didn't want to do life anymore. And yet God still was there with him. God was near to him. He is always near. And God took care of him. And God fed him, and God put him to sleep, and God fed him, and God put him to sleep. And on the third day, God spoke to him. He ministered to all three dimensions. And from Elijah, we realize this. You reap when you sow. I know it says you reap what you sow, but if you never sow, you never reap. You reap when you sow. 
And so I want to encourage you more than ever as we continue to move on in the days ahead that you sow into relationships, that you sow seeds in your relationship with God, that you daily start your day, whether you feel like it or not, start your day with the Lord and in prayer and in His Word. That you live throughout the day, morning, noon, and night, staying focused on that relationship, walking with your God all day long. But also as you walk through your day, that you also are sowing seeds into other relationships, relationships with your family, relationships with people at work, relationships with people, even though we're social distancing, that you find ways to still bless other people and encourage them. And you'll find that as you encourage others and as you connect with others, that you do better as well, that you always receive more than you ever plant. You know, if you wanted oranges, you would have to plant orange seeds. If you want encouragement, You can't just sit back and say, God, why is nobody encouraging me? You need to plant seeds of encouragement. And as you do that, you will find that you are encouraged in return. If you're lonely, don't sit there and say, God, why is nobody reaching out? You be the one to reach out and you'll no longer be lonely. You plant in relationships. If you're fearful, don't run from God. Don't run away from or think that you can distance yourself from your problems. Your problems just go with you and they get bigger. Instead... Run to God. Instead, in that moment, even if you don't feel it, run into the center of His will and pursue God more than ever. Jesus, as He was coming the last hours of His life, knowing a cross was imminent, said, Lord, if there's another way. He didn't feel like going to the cross. He didn't feel like nails in His hands, a spear in His side, a crown of thorns on His head. And yet He said, Father, not my will. He continued to pursue the Father. And he continued to to live in that relationship and that took him through one of the most difficult nights of his whole life. The same is true for you and I. Don't distance from God. Instead, connect with God. Let me take you to a second example. Go to Luke chapter 22 and 31. Sometimes our circumstances lead us to distancing. The circumstances. And certainly we can relate to that in this time of virus. In Luke 22, 31, it's a familiar time in Peter's life. It's where Jesus confronts him. It's the night of that Last Supper. And and they think that they're about to usher in Jesus as Messiah in Jerusalem. They're all excited and they're all giddy because they've come into that Hosanna moment. They've come into that uh, mountaintop experience in their life where everybody was cheering them on because Jesus was going to be that promised one. The one they thought would drive Rome out and would usher in their city, and their governance under God again. But in that night, things were going on in Peter's heart. He was distancing himself from God, and he didn't even know it. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I believe that as much as we're praying for one another now, It's even more comforting to me to know that my Savior, my high priest, Jesus, has been praying me through these days, is praying you through these days. He prays for you just like he prayed for Peter in his most difficult time. In his circumstances that were causing him to distance himself from God, God was still there. Jesus didn't leave him. Jesus didn't forsake him. And he won't forsake you either. He prays for you even now, just like he did Peter. But but go on, look at this. He said, but I pray for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, 
you would strengthen your brothers. As we come out of this uh, sheltering at home, as we begin to enter back into uh, more relationships and going back to work and back to uh, places of uh, like restaurants or wherever we might be going, that as we return back, that we might strengthen others with the faith that we model. Verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison. I will, I will go with you anywhere. He's basically saying, I will not fail you. I will follow you anywhere. He says, I am ready to go to prison and even to death. What a radical profession. He's saying all the right things, and he really even believed it in that moment. He really believed that he was willing to die for the Lord Jesus. He said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied three times that you even know me. Peter's confession Lord, you're the number one thing in my life. Lord, I'm okay. I got this. I, I can handle anything that comes at me. Even if I'm facing death, Lord, I'd, I'd be willing to die for you. I love you more than anything. You may even feel that in your heart, and yet as circumstances start to change, as, as environment changes, sometimes our heart changes. But Jesus warned him and said, Peter, you're going to social distance from me. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fade in that commitment. You're going to social distance. Take a look at it. Verse 54. Drop down to verse 54. So having arrested Jesus, they led him away and they brought him to the house of the high priest. But look at this last part. Underline it as I have here. Mark it down. But Peter was following at a distance. Before there was denial, he hasn't denied Christ yet. He's going to. He's going to deny Christ three times and do what he thought he would never do. Before the denial, there was distance. You see, you can't follow at a distance unless you're willing to live in defeat. And if there's distance in your relationship with God this very moment, don't wait. Don't wait for it to grow further and further. Don't wait for it to lead to something that will cause you to deny Lord, the Lord in your testimony. Realize it for what it is. Realize that that distance has happened. And run back to God just like Elijah needed to and just like Peter did. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Earlier, Jesus had taught his disciples about what it meant to follow. It's not following at a distance. It's not following in your own strength. And it's not following in a religious ritual. Look at what Luke 9, 23 says. Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, follow me. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, Peter should have remembered that truth. He should have clung to that truth. But what happened was, instead of taking up his death in that moment, and that's what it means to take up your cross daily. It means to take up your death. I need to die daily. We've talked about that often. But when I don't take up my cross, I live. My fears live. I live for what makes me feel better. I live for what is more convenient and what's comfortable and what's safe distancing. And pretty soon I find that I'm following my Lord at a distance. Not because He is far away, but because my heart is far away. Verse 24, look at what Jesus went on to say after that. He said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. 
I think it's pretty fascinating as we fast forward over back where we left off in Luke 22 and we find Peter. Why does he deny Christ three times? Because he was trying to save his life. He knew that if he confessed in that moment with an angry mob, with everybody who was out with their pitchforks going after the Frankenstein of that day, he knew that if he was part of Jesus, he would lose his life. He forgot to take up his cross. He forgot to die to his selfishness and his agenda. And as a result, he did what he thought he would never do. If you were to go back and look, we find that it was all rooted in this issue of pride. Pride had begun to set up in his life, and that's when Jesus stepped in and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You're walking in a spirit of pride because, you see, he'd been arguing that night with all the other disciples who was the greatest. That as Jesus would take over the throne and what they thought was the Messiah was going to take over the throne of Jerusalem and all of Israel, that he was going to need a vice president and that he was running for that office and he was the greatest of all the disciples. After all, he walked on water at one point. After all, he'd been to the mountain and seen Elijah and Moses the transfiguration of Jesus. He'd had all these experiences because Jesus was prepping him for the vice presidency. In that moment of pride, as he was getting all excited about the future days of the power that he would inherit, he was missing out on what it meant to walk with Jesus. Sometimes we can get distracted in our lives as well and we can miss it. And in these moments we learn in Peter's life that while he thought he'd given everything to follow Jesus, that this dream he was living was now turning into a nightmare. And in an effort to save his life, he denies Jesus. He did what he thought he would never do. Why? Because of spiritual distancing. So let's learn like we did from Elijah. Let's take some quick notes. What do we learn from Peter's distancing? What can we make sure doesn't happen in our life that we don't deny the Lord in some form or some fashion in our lives? Well, number one, again, remember we are three-dimensional creations of God. Elijah struggled in his physiology, which led to emotional uh, disappointment. We find now here with Peter that he was allowing pride to set up the way he was thinking, the things that were going on in his soul, this emotional issues of his life, and then the fear that set in caused him to distance himself from the Lord. Number two, we need to realize that we're always in trouble when we are led by our emotions. What we're feeling in that moment. Those feelings may be very real, but if we cave into those feelings, if Jesus would have caved into his feelings, he would have never made it to the cross. But he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Number three, I think it's important to learn that we can be so familiar with Jesus that we can even confess, Lord, I love you more than anybody on this planet and still not realize that there's distancing going on in our heart. Today, I would encourage you, look inside. Let the Holy Spirit do what the psalmist asks. Lord, Look in my heart and see if there be any wicked way, if there be anything in me that's distancing me from you. And the fourth lesson we learn is from Luke 9, 23. We need to take up our cross every single day. What is it in you in this very moment that needs to die? Is it something physiologically? Is it something emotionally? Is it something mentally? Is it something that you're allowing the enemy to do through his lies? Take up your cross Die to those lies, die to self, die to fear, and let Christ live in you as you follow Him. Very quickly, third, third example, distancing. 
different ways the enemy gets us to distance ourselves from God. We find it in Luke chapter 15 and verse 13. The third way we can see distancing being a bad thing. In Luke 15 verse 13, we wake up in the story of the prodigal son. Now before you just turn this off and say, I've already heard about the prodigal son, I already know that story. Look at it in relationship to distancing. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. There you see social distancing. He's going far from his father. He is going to get as far away from home as he can possibly get. Social distancing. And when he got there, he squandered his estate with loose living. Loose living is when we distance ourselves from where we should be and find ourselves doing things we should never be doing. We find this prodigal son who said, you know what, I'm better off away from the roof and the accountability of my father, and I want to live how I want to live, and I want to do what everybody else is doing, and I want to live to the max. And what he thought was going to be maximum freedom actually became maximum bondage. Loose living here translates, if you go back into the Greek, it means extravagantly wasteful. What we find is this extravagant lifestyle that he poured all that he had into the party life. Poured all that he could into that distant space, in that distant world. Far away from his upbringing, far away from righteous living, he wasted everything. He wasted life, and that's what sin will do. Sin may be pleasurable for a season, but it will never satisfy. And sin will always, always waste every aspect of life. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, because we had so extravagantly wasted our lives in our sin. Well, that's exactly what happened to this prodigal. He was all in. He was all in, but far away, social distancing. I think sometimes we distance ourselves because we're all in and what we want. If we were real honest, we may ask God's blessing on it, and we may have asked for the Father's blessing like the prodigal tried to, but we're far from where we need to be. Pursuing things that are far from the will of God because we want what we want and we want it now. We can even convince ourselves, like the prodigal son, that we deserve it. I mean, after all, he was due to inherit half his father's estate. But he didn't deserve it in this moment. It wasn't his. It was his father's estate. You don't inherit it until the father is gone. And he somehow convinced himself he needed his estate early. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. You see, our desires can lead us to social distancing or spiritual distancing. It can lead us farther and farther from God. It lies to us. Our desires always lie to us. Just ask the prodigal son. Ask Adam and Eve when they looked at that fruit and saw it was desirable to their eyes. Ask Samson, who was a strong, strong man, except when it came to his desires for women. Ask David the same thing as he was on a rooftop. Our desires always lie to us. No matter what we're thinking, no matter how powerful the pool. Look at verse 15. As he had wasted all that he had, he had to go and find some way of providing food. He, he was now broke. He couldn't go and buy groceries. He was distanced from his father and everything that was good. 
So it says he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine, to live among the pigs. There's not a worse job that a Jewish man could take on than to serve pigs, the unclean of the unclean. And yet that was his job. And that's where he was now social distancing. Verse 16. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, verse 17 is key. He finally came to his senses. When? When he was bankrupt. When all the lies of the enemy had finally run into dead ends, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. What can we learn from this third example of distancing and how destructive distancing can be? Number one, again, remember, we are three-dimensional creations of God. We need relationship with the Father. And while everything in us screams, no, I just need what this world has to give me. I just need to go after it, and I just need to go faster and further, and I just need more of it. No, you also need to be spiritually alive. You need that relationship with your Heavenly Father. Number two, we're always in trouble when we're led by our desires. If you find that it's your desires that are making your decisions, if you find it's your desires that don't match the desire of God, you're in big trouble. And you are far from Him. Third thing we learn is this. We need to come to our senses. We need to repent. He finally comes to His senses. And it led to repentance. He said, I need to return back to my Father. I need to leave where I am. And I need to go back to Him. I need this distance to be removed. I don't need to be in this far country. I need to be back with my Father. How does that happen? It happens as we return to Him, as we lose the distance, and we come home to our Heavenly Father. I want to pray with you this morning. And I want you to evaluate Elijah and Peter and the prodigal son. And if you found in any of those three examples any connection that has created some form of distance in your relationship with God the Father or with other people in your life, would you be willing to repent in this moment? Would you be willing to let God restore all that the enemy is trying to steal from you? Let's pray. Father God, I pray for each and every one who's worshiping this very moment. Lord, I pray for whatever you have been revealing to them. Holy Spirit, I know you're speaking through your word, which is alive and active in our hearts, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, that it is penetrating our cold, distant hearts. Lord, that it would break forth with great fruit. And God, that you would bring repentance wherever we need to repent. That you would return us back to our first love. And God, that instead of being distanced from others or from you, Lord, we would be one with one another and one with you. God, for that person who's hurting right now like Elijah, God, minister to them physically, emotionally, and mentally, and spiritually. God, if there's someone like Peter who has distanced himself from you, God, restore the joy of their salvation. God, if there's a prodigal today, one who's lived in a far country, far from God. Lord, today, save them. Lord, today, 
May they return to their Creator, their Lord, their Savior. And if that's you today, right now where you are, you could pray and call on the name of the Lord and you could be saved. And in a moment, while God may seem a million miles away, in this moment He will be right there in your heart. For He is near to you. You just have to open the door. The door of your heart, believing in your heart, receiving Him, and He'll save you. If that's you, would you pray with me? And say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that my sin distanced me from you. But Lord, I thank you that you left the throne of heaven and you came to this earth. You came to this very place so you could die on a cross in my place. And Lord, I see it today that it's my sin that distanced me from your love and your forgiveness. And today, Lord, I give you my sin. I open the door of my heart and I invite you in. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. The Bible says you are now a new creation. You're now whole. That which was spiritually dead in you is now alive. And if you pray just now to receive Christ, I want you to reach out on the chat box or email in to the office at ministry at pcbc.tv and just simply write us a note and say, Today I am saved. Today I gave my life to Christ. Let us know so we can pray with you and we can encourage you. We'll reach back out to you and we'll get some materials and we'll find ways to disciple you in the days ahead. God bless you for being a part of the service today. And if there's others of you that have made some other kind of spiritual decision during this moment, let us know about that as well. We want to pray for you and we will. We will pray specifically for you by name and rejoice with you in what God is doing in your life. So every day, don't settle in for distancing with God and with others, but simply connect and let God get all the glory. God bless you. We love you. And so does he. We'll see you next week. 945 online, 1105 Lawn Chair Church. Be blessed this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.